0: Continuing the chapter on Atamayatā. Next we have some words from Bhikkhu Nyanananda, picking up a variety of terms related to Atamayatā. Each of the words he outlines is worthy of a pause to consider and to contemplate its sense and implications. This passage is from uh, Venerable uh, Nyanananda's very wonderful little book called the Magic of the Mind, and uh, it's a commentary on the Kalakarama Sutta. Uh, and uh, Bhikkhun as he mentioned before, is a, um, a Sri Lankan monk and is very um, uh, gifted as a writer and meditator and um, has done a number of uh, significant books. Um, this one, The Magic of the Mind, and then um, uh, one called Concept and Reality about uh, conceptual proliferation, Papancha and then uh, one that's just been recently published um, uh, on dependent origination, and then a series of seven small books, um, a series of thirty-eight lectures? Thirty-three lectures on Nibbāna, called Nibbāna, The Mind Still, which covers a lot of the same material. But uh, they started uh, publishing them while Ajahn Pasano and I were in the process of doing this book, and we decided just leave that. <laughs> leave it aside till we're done. Otherwise, I we'll have to re-scramble all of our of our formats. So we um, we uh, were deliberately not trying to replicate what the venerable Nyanananda was doing, but it's a, a very fine collection of um, of teachings. So that's called Nibbana, the Mind Stilled, and that's a, a series of seven books. I think it's all online, isn't it? Yeah, it's all online through his uh, his website. His people's uh, People have prepared for him. So this is from The, the Magic of the Mind, from two different uh, uh, sections of it. The process of becoming is thus shown to be perpetually going on within the mind of the sangsaric individual who identifies himself with sense data under the proliferating tendencies towards craving, conceits and views, the three main asava. And these are all uh, these are more usually referred to as the Papancha Dhammas. This identification is implied by the term Tammayata, literally of thatness. And one who resorts to it is called tammayo, one who is quote made of that, unquote, or is of that stuff, quote unquote. Since the perceptual process of becoming sorry. Since the perpetual process of becoming in the psychological realm is necessarily followed by birth, decay and death, sorrow, lamentation, grief and despair, in every specific instance of short-lived identification, an insight into the law of dependent arising provides one with the key to the entire gamut of samsaric experience. Though That's uh, quite densely packed um, statements there. He says the the process of becoming um that the the habit of the mind being uh, caught up in uh ceaselessly being born into different uh, states feelings perceptions um because of the 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 mind being under the influence of uh craving conceit and views tanha uh, mana and ditti, um then uh, that identification is uh is called tammayatā, so that's the opposite of atamayata. The A at the beginning is an opposite, so a negative. So tammayatā, when the mind is under the influence of those uh, craving, conceit and views, then it becomes made of that, uh, uh, tammayatā. And one who resorts to it, a person who's sort of lost in that there, uh, they are described as tammayo, T-A-M-M-A-Y-O, tammayo, made of that or of that stuff. And so then he points to um, that uh, the insight into dependent origination helps us to see how to prevent the mind from being caught into that in the first place. The penetrative, This penetrative insight into the arising and cessation of phenomena dispels all doubts as to the speculative problems of absolute existence and non-existence. So like uh, that quote from the dialogue with venerable Kachana: Uh, all exists as one extreme, all does not exist as the other extreme, the the Tathāga that teaches the Dhamma by the the middle way. uh, This penetrative insight into the arising and cessation of phenomena dispels all doubts as to the speculative problems of absolute existence and non-existence, of unity and plurality, etc. And the mind is brought to rest in the quote-unquote middle, though paradoxically it now rests on nothing. Okay, that's an interesting little clause there. So uh, the mind is brought to rest in the middle, as the Buddha teaches the Dhamma by the middle way, by not attaching to the extremes of existence and non-existence. The mind is brought to rest in the middle, though paradoxically it now rests on nothing, or I would say rests on no thing. And that quality of uh, being in the middle, there's a, a, a wonderful... Very long Pali word which is Tatra Majatata, which means in the middle of thatness. Tatra meaning that, um, uh, Maja in the, in the middle, Tatra Majatata, the quality of, of being in the middle of that. So, the kind of being in the middle of things. And then uh, the um, this. Uh, uh, This idea or this quality of resting on nothing that's touched on in much more detail in a later chapter called Unsupported and Unsupportive Consciousness, but I'll talk about that shortly. Thingness, quote-unquote, has completely faded away, so much so that craving finds no thing to grasp at. Instead of an attempt at identification, tammayatā, Impelled by craving, a detached contemplation of the norm of suchness, tatatā sets in. With this emancipation of the mind, one's attitude towards the world, with all its vicissitudes, all its troubles and difficulties and interesting stuff, the world with all its vicissitudes becomes one of quote, such likeness, taditā, of aloofness, atamayatā. Which is so uh, uh, aloofness is his translation of atamayata, uh, and he deserves to be called the such one or the such like one, tadi or tadiso soul. Then there's a little verse that uh, completes that um, passage, which says, "That ardent one who touched the destruction of birth by overcoming Mara, by vanquishing the ender, that wise sage, the such like one." The knower of the world is unattached, attamayo, in regard to all phenomena, and the Pali for that is, pasayang marang abibuya, ant antakang yochapusi jati kayang padhana so tadiso lokavitu sumeto sabesudhamesu attamayo muni. So that's a. Um, I was thinking of making up a little um, uh, inscription for uh, when Lumpur Sumedha comes to visit, since he got his name in this particular little verse. So thadiso so vidu sumaito sabhesu atamayo muni. So that means, that wise sage, the suchlike one, the knower of the world, is unattached in regard to all phenomena. So I haven't got around to actually putting that together yet, but it's, uh, when I was looking at this, I thought, oh, that would be a nice to make a little uh, sort of a portrait pic- photograph of Lumpur Sumater and put that on as a caption and hang it up in the nursing kuti. So it's just an idea. <laughs> so this um, resting on nothing, and uh, when we were having the, the discussion a couple of days ago about about Dhamma and, and Dhamma not being a, th- a thing in the in the world of other things, or or the Dhamma being no thing. And it's difficult to to get the mind around. But um, it reminded me of a... um, There's a a famous uh, book, I think we have a copy of it in the library here, uh, by John Cage, the um, experimental musician. It's called Silence. His most famous piece of music is uh, 4 minutes 33 seconds of silence. And uh, the 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 piece that uh, John Cage composed. The, the instructions are that the the pianist comes and sits down in front of the piano and holds their fingers over the keys for exactly four minutes and thirty three seconds, no no uh, no less, no more, and that's that's the piece. So I used to uh, uh, c- um, have the idea that the the mu- and he has a very uh, uh, sort of a strange and experimental musical. Uh, uh, composer, and so I, my thought was that the, the, uh, the music was the sound of the people in the auditorium going, has it begun yet? I can't hear anything. <laughs> shuffle, shuffle, grumble, grumble, mumble, mumble, and that was the music, because uh, he had he'd done pieces like, um, called li- like living room music, where people had a sort of uh, moving furniture and, uh, and, and knocking uh, lampshades and such like. So he had uh, that kind of range of activity. But then I found out that uh, his uh, idea for this piece came when he visited uh, MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and he was taken into what's called an anechoic chamber, a room that's completely silent. And so that um, when he went into it, then uh, he was struck by, the, sound, by uh, the intensity of the inner sound, the nada sound, because the room was supposed to be silent, and he realized it's not silent at all because this, cause this uh, inner sound is, is very, uh, very loud. So um, thus have I heard that the, 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 the uh, idea behind four minutes 33 seconds was that um, the silence is actually um, there to help you hear the, the inner sound. And also that four minutes and 33 seconds equals 273 seconds. And those of you who can remember your science classes will know that absolute zero is minus 273 degrees Celsius. So he deliberately chose that amount of time based on absolute zero as the, the, um, the temperature, which cannot be um, uh, sunk, uh, it cannot be um, sort of surpassed in terms of coldness. Anyway, his book called "Silence," begins with the, the words: uh, "If you let it, it supports itself. You don't have to. Each something is a celebration of the nothing that supports it. If we remove the world from our shoulders, we find it doesn't drop. Where is the responsibility? If you let it, it supports itself. You don't have to. Each something is a celebration of the nothing which that supports it. If we remove the world from our shoulders, we discover it doesn't drop. Where is the responsibility? So the word dhamma means uh, comes from the root dura, which means to support, or to hold, or to um, to kind of, to integrate. And so um, this the phrase that comes from uh, from John Cage's little piece there, like the the nothing that supports everything, that's in a way or well, the no thing that supports everything, is a a, 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 a useful. I find a useful, beautiful way of uh, creating a mental image to represent dhamma and that uh, and also that phrase of his each something is a celebration of the nothing that supports it is another it's a slightly poetic but also very helpful uh, way of uh, of reflecting on that but as i said there's a, there's a whole chapter on unsupported and unsupportive consciousness so uh, we'll get to that in that uh, the, the uh unsupported uh, unsupportive nature of of dhamma in a, in a due course. So before going on any more, um, any questions or thoughts, reflections on that? Okay. So then, this is a commentary on the Kalakarama Sutta and. And then so uh, the island goes on to say, the discourse he's commenting on, the Kalakarama Sutta, is very brief, although highly potent. It's included here in its entirety. So this is from the Anguttari Nikaya, Book of the Fours. So I brought that along so I can have an alternative translation for this as well. At one time the Blessed One was staying at Sarketa in Kalaka's monastery. There the Blessed One addressed the bhikkhus thus, Bhikkhus, Venerable Sir, they replied. The Blessed One said this, Bhikkhus, in this world with its gods, Maras and Brahmas, among its population of recluses and Brahmins, gods and humans, whatsoever is seen, heard, sensed, cognized, attained, sought after, and pondered over by the mind, all that do I know whatsoever is seen and pondered over by the mind, all that I have fully understood, all that is known to the Tathagata. But the Tathagata has not taken his stand upon it. If I were to say whatsoever in the world, and so forth, all that I do not know, that would be a falsehood in me. If I were to say, I both know it and know it not, that would be a falsehood in me. If I were to say, I neither know it nor know it not, it would be a fault in me. Thus, because the Tatargata does not conceive of a visible thing apart from sight. He does not conceive of an unseen. He does not conceive of a thing to be seen, quote-unquote. He does not conceive about a seer. He does not conceive about, of an audible, a thing to be sensed a cognizable thing, as apart from cognition. He does not conceive of an uncognized. He does not conceive of a thing worth cognizing. And so it's the same with all of the the senses. He does not conceive about one who cognizes. Thus, because the Tathagata being such like, Padi, in regard to all phenomena seen, heard, sensed and cognized, is thus. Moreover, There is none other greater or more excellent than one who is thus, I declare. Whatever seen, heard, sensed, or clung to is known as truth by other folk. Amidst those who are entrenched in views, one thus holds none as true or false. The barb which hooks, impales the world, has been discerned well in advance. I know, I see, this is the truth. The targeters do not cling thus. So this is a, um, a, a very short sutta, and a, as um, a, it says, it's pointing to the, the Buddha saying, yeah, th- this is all things that are knowable, and that, that uh, uh, to say I don't know them would be false. So I, I, I know uh, that Hathāgara knows all these uh, all things that are knowable. He said, um, whatever is seen, um, heard, sensed, cognized, attained, sought after, pondered over by the mind, all that do I know, which is quite a declaration. But then he's not uh, making a, a stand on that or just uh, or, or taking a, uh, a fixed view in relationship to that. And then is uh, talking about this uh, relationship of the mind to the, the, um, the perceptual world of the things that are seen, heard, sensed, and cognized and so forth. And uh, also a seer, the, both so both of the object side and the subject side. He does not conceive about any of those. Thus because the Tathagata, being such like, Thadi, in regard to all phenomena, seen, heard, sensed and cognized, is thus. Moreover, there is none greater or more excellent than one who is thus, I declare. So it's a, again, it's addressing this quality of suchness, Tathatā, um, and that there's this quality of presence and and reality, but also uh, undefinability. Things uh, that uh, are um, you can't uh, say fix in a in a, a, a mental image uh, exactly. You know, so sort of, uh, what the Tathāgata is. So he uh, he says this very emphatic statement that. There is none greater or more excellent than one who is thus, the one who you know, who has that realization. But then um, there is also this quality of not conceiving either a doer or a, or an experience, not taking a, a fixed position. So it's very frustrating to the mind that relates to fixed positions and and fixed views. Uh, and then this little verse at the end: whatever's seen, heard, sensed, or clung to is known as truth uh, by other folk. So uh, I see this. I see this. A book. This is. This is a book. This is a, my book. Amidst those who are entrenched in views, one thus holds none as true or false. So not taking views as being this is absolutely true or this is absolutely false. That even when a, a view is correct, if it's grasped, then it, as Ajahn Cha would put it, it's it's right in fact, but wrong in dhamma. That I'm right, you're wrong. That uh, that uh, there's a. A way of seeing, but it's not clung to or identified with. The barb which hooks impales the world has been discerned well in advance. I know, I see. This is the truth. To targeters do not cling thus. So before we go on, I will read Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation of this, as it's slightly different, got a slightly different tone to it. So I'll just read the um, the main part of it. Because in this world with its devas, mara and brahma, among this population with its ascetics and brahmins, its devas and humans, whatever is seen, heard, sensed, cognized, reached, sought after, examined by the mind. That I know. Um, because in this world with its devas, mara and brahma, among this population with its ascetics and brahmins, its devas and humans, whatever is seen, heard, sensed, cognized, reached, sought after, examined by the mind, that I have directly known. It has been known by the targeter, but the targeter did not become subservient to it. Because if I were to say in this world, this uh, uh, devas and so forth, that I didn't know, that would be a falsehood. If I did, my both know and didn't know, that would be a falsehood. And so on. Then the main passage, he says, so, having seen what can be seen, the targeter does not misconceive the seen, does not misconceive the unseen, does not misconceive what can be seen, does not misconceive one who sees, having heard what can be heard, having sensed what can be sensed, having cognized what can be cognized, etc. He does not misconceive the cognized, does not misconceive the uncognized, does not misconceive. What can be cognized does not misconceive one who cognizes. Thus bhikkhus, being ever stable among things, heard, sensed and cognized, the tathagata is a stable one. So uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi translates this word "tadi" as stable. And he has a, a useful note on that. The word Tadi, originally a simple referential term meaning that one, takes on a special sense when used to designate the Buddha or an arahant. And the uh, the the Nidesa explains that an arahant is called Tadi because he has transcended preferences, given up defilements, crossed the floods and has a liberated mind. So that quality of, of stability it's, um, so that whereas is um Jnananda has it as such-like or thus, then uh, the um, uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi is translating it as a stable one, that stability coming from not being moved by preferences, by like and dislike, and um, the the kind of habitual way of, of uh, taking uh, a fixed view about things. So that quality of stability is what he... So sort of brings forth as being that another attribute of that quality of suchness, the sort of, um, if you like, the imperturbability or the the unshakability. Thus, Bhikkhu's being ever stable among things seen, heard, sensed, and cognized, the Atargater is a stable one. And I say there is no stable one more excellent and or sublime than that stable one. Amid those who are self-constrained, the stable one would not posit as categorically true or false anything seen, heard or sensed, clung to, and considered truth by others, since they have already seen this dart to which people cling and adhere, saying, I know, I see, it is just so, that the targeters cling to nothing. So it's a slightly different flavor to that, but I thought it was good to share that with everyone so you can have a... A sense of both. Um, also, the discussion we were having yesterday about tatata suchness, sort of, it's a it's a term that's hard to, to pin down <laughs> uh, for obvious reasons. But um, that uh, I felt it was helpful to bring forth that quality of stability or also the unshakable quality, in that sense of. I don't know. Could you relate stability with? Uh The uh, the sutta you you told before it's supported by nothing. Is it possible to it stability? Stability, supported by nothing... I mean, they're... Yeah, in in a sense they're related. Uh, It's like the... um, because when a thing rests on something else, there's a kind of dependency, and there's a uh, 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 what one what the, the ground does, then the, that affects what. The when you told that uh, an image came in my mind was a when you see cosmonauts are without presenter, uh, pesonte. I don't know the word in English. Weightlessness. Weightlessness. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, there's a, there's a sutta in that chapter on the uh, um, unsupported and unsupported consciousness. There's a, an image that the Buddha gives where he says, um, if you have a house with a, a, a wall uh, and a window facing the, the east, when the sun rises, uh, where does the sunlight? Uh, where does the sunlight land? And they say, well, it lands on the western wall. If there's no western wall, where does it land? It lands on the floor. If there's no floor, where does it land? It lands on the water. If there's no water, where does it land? If, it was, if, if there's no water or, or, or ground, then it doesn't land. And the Buddha said in the same way that the... the um, if the consciousness is, is unsupported, then it's, it's a consciousness that is liberated. It doesn't rest on anything. And so that there... I hadn't put it together in that same kind of way, but it, it is, I guess, that, that same kind of stability. Also, another sutta that is often um, referred to, and that the Lumpos, another one of Lumposamedo's favorite ones, is where um, it's called the Kevada Sutta. Where it's it's a a longish story, but it starts off with uh, uh, a monk in his meditation having the thought, Where is it that earth, water, fire, and wind come to an end and cease without remainder? And he goes off into the uh, heavenly realms, one after another, after another, asking these different devas, where is it that earth, water, fire and wind cease without remainder? And each one says, "Oh, we're just the four great kings, we don't know about that stuff. That's philosophy, you know, you need to go upstairs. So it goes up to, past the four great kings, the Tava Tingsha Heaven and Indra, and then up into the Tusita to Heaven and the Paranam Vasavati Heaven and they go, "Whoa, that's deep stuff, deep stuff. You better go up into the Brahma world, you know, but ask up there, and then goes into the Brahma world and asks the um, uh, the, uh, the Brahma gods, and they say, well, you know, you better ask Mahabrahma, you know, Bra- Mahabrahma is going to, you know, the, Mahabrahma is the only one who can answer that because you know, that, that's the sort of source of divine knowledge. So, And then he he, uh, he waits for the Mahabrahma to, to manifest, and then he asks Mahabrahma, could you tell me where earth, water, fire, and wind fade out and cease without remainder. And Mahabrahma predictably says, I am Brahma, the great Brahma, the Almighty, the Creator, the Father of all that are and are to be. And then the monk says, well actually I didn't ask you that. <laughs> um, what I asked is, where is it that earth, water, fire and wind fade out and cease without that remainder? I am Brahma, the great Brahma, the Almighty, the Creator, the Father of all that are and are to be. Of course they do it three times because it's the Buddhist teaching, back and forth. And then after the third time, then Brahma kind of takes him by the elbow. This is all in the Sutta. He takes him by the elbow and says, "You're embarrassing me in front of my retinue. You know, <laughs> I don't know the answer. You know. <laughs> and besides, you know, you're a disciple of the Buddha, so you should, you should have gone and asked the master uh, directly." So then uh, the, the monk kind of zips back down to the, out of the Brahma world and goes to see the Buddha, who was living in the same monastery, of course. And uh, so then he went to ask the Buddha, and uh, the Buddha said, "Well, you put the question in the wrong way. You know, rather than asking where earth, water, fire, and wind fade out and cease without remainder, you should instead ask where is it that earth, water, fire, and wind can find no footing, cannot find a basis, uh, and so in the same thing, where they are unsupported." And he said, "And it's in the uh, and the Pali is vinyanang anidasanang anantang sabato pabang." Which, uh, and it's one of the few instances where vinyana, uh, the word vinyana, is used to refer to a, a transcendent or a liberated quality of, of awareness. So vinyanam, nang means uh, non-manifest, not visible, not formed. Uh, anantang means infinite, limitless. Uh, sabato, pabang can mean radiant in all directions or it can mean accessible from every side. So uh, uh, this was a, a, a phrase Dumpur you often used, that uh, vinyanang anidasanang anantang sabatopavang, because that's it. And the Buddha says, that's uh, the consciousness which is non-manifest, which is infinite, which is radiant, um, uh, or accessible from every side. There it is that earth, and, uh, earth water, fire and wind um, can find no footing, and long and short and coarse and fine and pure and impure, they can find no footing. There it is, that nama and rupa. Uh, are all held in check; they they they, they cease; uh, they they cannot find any kind of traction. So that uh, um, the these are all talking about the kind of um, uh, say awareness or that quality of of knowing that when the mind is thus, <laughs> then it it provides no footing for long and short and coarse and fine and pure and impure. As you said, that stability comes from. Not being caught up in dualities, not being caught up in, in uh, the um, uh, the uh, biases and uh, and, uh, and preferences and, and so forth, so that, that quality of completely unbiased knowing is that that's uh, is uh, say you can you can align that with the, that quality of the Anidasa viññana. Okay, so then going back to Venerable Jnanananda's translation. The terms, thing worth seeing, hearing, cognizing, etc., are pointing to the habit we have of imputing inherent value or substance to perceptions. Like This book is a solid thing, this chair is is absolutely real. These words are uh, of inherent meaning and value so forth. So uh, a thing worth seeing, hearing, cognizing, etc., pointing to the habit we have of imputing inherent value or substance to perceptions, thoughts, and emotions. Without such imputation, without giving value, saying this is a book, but, uh, <clears throat> that without the mind making it into a book, that bookness, there is there is a configuration of elements, but that bookness is given by the mind and the fact that i speak english and that's uh, the word that refers to this particular configuration of perceptions without such imputation they do not possess any such solidity or worth or like that i was quoting that that uh, account of lompo chao when he was uh, a young uh, tudong monk uh, living at um uh, i think it was uh, kao wang chai um, uh, and he was uh, camped out in this old, um, sort of di- uh, dilapidated sala, and his mind was in a very, very clear and you know, very lucid, awake state. And he said, "There, was, uh, uh, there was a kettle, uh, uh, but it, it wasn't a kettle. You know, I, and there was this uh, spittoon, but it wasn't a spittoon. It was, it wasn't anything. It, it didn't disappear, but it was, uh, it was. Its kettleness. My mind didn't give it its, its usual kettleness or its spittoonness. It was." That, uh, or as he puts it very simply, it was a kettle, but it wasn't a cattle. <laughs> so it wasn't anything else, but the, the mind just saw it uh, without that kind of imputation, without giving it that kind of value or, or limiting it as, to, as that thing. Tradition has it that 500 of those listening attained arahantship and there were five earthquakes during the course of this exposition. So that was quite a short talk, but there were five earthquakes, they say, that took place during the course of this. This short teaching also became of great significance in the centuries after the Buddha's time. It was used by the elder Maharakita under the auspices of King Asoka's missionary endeavors to instruct the Yonikas, uh, the Greeks, in their home country. So the Pali word for the Greeks is Yonika, uh, ionian, Ionia, uh, Iona is uh, uh, one of the words referring to the you know, people of that area. So the Pali word yonika is uh, related to Ionians and so forth. All of the, the various passages quoted so far in this chapter describe the nature of a tamayata and its related qualities. But perhaps the, question, the questions remain, how is this best to be realized? And... How can this depth of insight be developed? A text that points directly to this issue, and one of the most useful meditation teachings in the entire Pali canon, is to be found in the Madhupindika Sutta. There the Venerable Mahakachana says, so before I read that, so any more questions, reflections, thoughts, contemplations on uh, that, uh, the, the, the Kalakarama Sutta. I
1: was wondering about the
0: Kalakarama Sutta and the other one about earth fire. The Kevada
1: Sutta. In your translation, in the introduction of the Introduction of the the awareness, you put a briefer kind of... uh, version of this because I you know, the who gave it to and saying, um, oh, um, sorry, you know, you really embarrassed me, you know, mm-hmm. actually I don't know, why don't you go to your teacher? Mm-hmm. Um, what surprised me is that these two versions, like the version, you have a shorter version, which you also sort have of heard, where you don't have this kind of funny um, comments, and then you say there is one that has funny comments,
0: well, there's two uh, there's two suitors where that that's uh, phrase vinyanang nidasanang appears, and one is the invitation to the Bra- to a Brahma, That's the in the Nikaya, that's Sutta 49, that invites so that's The one where he's talking to the Brahma god Bhaka. and so that um, that doesn't have all of that preamble. Um, it's still it's an encounter with a Brahma god but it doesn't have that whole story with it and then the second one is the Kevada sutta which is um, in the uh, sutta number 11 in the diganikaya and that has that whole long story but the that that phrase vinyanang anidasanang anantang sabatopang that that appears just in those two places but it's also it's significant that it was both the buddha uh, they're, they're both about uh, the either that monk or the buddha dialoguing with the brahma god and so it's another one of those. Ajahn has a theory that that he he thinks there's some kind of um, Brahmin teaching that probably out of one of the Upanishads or Vedas or something that's, that's probably been lost. Or at least, if it, if it's not been lost, I'd like to know where you might find it. But he he feels that because the only time you see that phrase and the only time, kind of almost the only times that the word vijnana is used in that sort of as a transcendent awareness comes in a dialogue with a Brahma god that uh, it's probably um, riffing on the on, on a, um, a theme from one of the the Vedas or, or like a, a scriptural teaching or a common teaching of the Brahmin uh, out of the Brahmin scriptures of the Buddha's time and he's sort of taken that and then brought that into his own teaching as because as as we, you can see it's, a, it's a commonly done in the way he's Presenting things, he sort of takes a a standard or well-known religious teaching and then sort of brings it in and gives his own shade of uh, of meaning to it. Because mm-hmm.
1: one is funny and the other one you just try like you say oh, meditation. You
0: know, shame on you. Why don't you go and
1: take ask your teacher? The Buddha is just like the Buddha. And the other one is
0: funny. It's like yes, I'm oh, mm-hmm. sorry. You know, okay. Well, there's it often the making fun. of I mean, the other one, the Brahma God, is called Baka, which is uh, which is like a a um uh, the 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 Pali word for a, a um for a heron is baka which in in Indian mythology is a, a kind of joke name that you know your your Brahma god is called pompous <laughs> or snooty you know he went up to visit this this high Brahma deity who was called the you know the high god snooty you know or or, or the the uh, the holy pompous it's like the name is telling you, like this is a joke, or this person is being made fun of, and so in a similar way, it's that like there's a sort of a bit of a a dig there, and the the Buddha is not averse to having a bit of a dig here and there. So um, let's see. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't spell it out here, but that was one. Uh, Venerable Anand Maitreya was saying that if you, if you're familiar with Indian Indian uh, mythology, and the kind of folklore, the word, the name Baka for the Brahma god, would, 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 jumps out at you like that's a kind of like like calling the a Brahma god the holy, you know, the the, uh, the holy uh, snooty one, or the you know, the the great high pompous one. Yeah.
1: I don't know if you remember, but Ananda Vabrananda try mentioned once that this Sutta was the only Sutta in all exegesis where the Buddha talks about consciousness beyond the sense consciousness, talks about transcendent consciousness. He told us it's the only place mm-hmm. he talks about something beyond the sense consciousness.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I would uh, that this to me this is exactly what this is referring to because it's the that uh, it's using the word vinyana, but it's referring to the mind of the arahant, like where long and short and coarse and fine and pure and impure can find no footing, and it's like that's the, the, the liberated mind is, is what it's describing. So I would say that those are the two instances where vinyana is used in that way. So to uh, go on, so the the uh, Pintaka Sutta um, is Sutta number 18 in the Middle Length Discourses. And this is uh, the um, the prime uh, location where the teachings describe the process of what's called uh, papancha in Pali, or conceptual proliferation and so it's a very it's a very useful sutta to study on its own and uh, the it's begun by the, the buddha sitting in the forest and then a brahmin who is a kind of professional arguer uh, like a professional debater again the brahmin kind of, the, the, there's a lot of what they call mythic defamation in the in the pali suttas. the brahmins come out looking very stupid a lot of the time just as in the northern buddhist scriptures the the arahants come across looking very stupid a lot of the time like in the lotus sutra vimlakirti sutra Sariputta is a bit of a, a kind of bit of a fool and uh, and so that the the pali does the same to the brahmins the brahmins continually look look foolish um, and so this brahmin who's a professional debater sees the buddha sitting under a tree in the forest and goes aha it's that wanderer gotama um, i'll put him to the test and see i I'll, I'll uh, uh, start up a debate with him, and I'll prove how how much more skillful and wise I am than, than he is. And so he goes up to the Buddha and says, uh, "What do you well, What do you practice? What kind of philosophy do you do you teach?" And then the Buddha says, uh, "I teach and I practice non-contention with anyone in the world." <laughs> <laughs> so then, as it says in the Sutta, then then with his bra- his forehead puckering into three brows and his Tongue clicking against the roof of his mouth. <laughs> he goes off shaking his head and with nothing to say. There's no art, there's no art. Because he's looking for a fight, he's looking for an argument. And the Buddha obviously read that situation and said, I practice non contention. So he wasn't going to play the game. And so that, that particular Brahmin called uh, Dandapani then had to go off and be uh, disappointed. So anyway he goes back to the monastery and then talks about that encounter and then makes a, a brief statement and then uh, about how it's through the um, a non-attachment to perception that is how that uh, quarrels and disputes are avoided and come to an end in the world and then that's a brief version of it and then then he goes into his kuti and then the, the other monks say what did he say what I didn't catch that can you explain that and, They said, well, let's go and ask Mahakachana because he's really good at explaining in detail statements made by the Buddha in brief, and that was his expertise. And so they go and visit Mahakachana and they repeat this brief comment that the the Buddha has made, and how is it that that the non-attachment to perceptions is related to the ending of quarrels and disputes. And then it's Mahakachana who gives this very detailed analysis, and then at the end of the sutta uh, when they, uh, Venerable Ananda, who's heard this, goes to the Buddha and repeats the whole thing and said, uh, uh, this is what Venerable Mahakachana said about perception and conceptual proliferation. And the Buddha said, this is exactly as I would have explained it you know, had I been asked. So this is precisely the, the, the same uh, terms and, uh, and understanding that, that I have that Mahakachana has given. and uh, So then Ananda says, this is wonderful, this is the most delicious, this is the most kind of gorgeous, fantastic, beautiful, delightful sutta. It's like a, 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 a ball of honey, uh, what should we call the sutta? And the Buddha said, you can call it the honey ball sutta. <laughs> so madhu is, is honey and pindika is like a little ball or a, a lump. So the Buddha said, you can call it the honey ball sutta. So it's been called the madhu-pindika sutta, after Ananda getting excited and uh, enth- enthusiastic about the, the deliciousness and uh, the delightful nature of this teaching. So what China says is dependent on the eye and forms, eye consciousness arises. The meeting of the three, the eye, visible forms, and eye consciousness, the meeting of the three is sense contact, pasa. With sense contact as condition, there is feeling, Vedana. What one feels, that one perceives, sannya. What one perceives, that one thinks about, vitaka. What one thinks about, that one mentally proliferates, papancha. With such conceptual proliferation, papancha, as the source, the heart is beset by mental perceptions and notions characterized by the prolific tendency with respect to past, future, and present forms cognizable through the eye. And that last one is called papancha sanya which is the. Uh, Uh, mental perceptions and notions characterized by the prolific tendency Papancha, Sanya, Sankara Um, and so too with the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body and the mind the solution to this cascade of trouble is that if nothing is found there to delight in welcome and hold to this is the end of the underlying tendencies to lust, aversion views, doubt conceit Desire for being and ignorance. And those are the seven uh, latent tendencies, the seven anusaya. So, lust, aversion, views, doubt, conceit, desire for being and ignorance. So, uh, raga, dosa, ditti, vichikicha, mana, uh, bhavatanna, and avicha. Those are the seven anusaya, latent tendencies. This is the end of resorting to weapons, quarrels, brawls, that's like fighting, disputes, recrimination, malice and false speech. Here these harmful and wholesome states cease without remainder. This is to say that if, with mindfulness and wisdom, the tendency to, quote, go out, unquote, into perceptions, thoughts and emotions is restrained and one just allows seeing to be seeing, hearing to be hearing, etc., the whole papuncha drama does not get launched in the first place. The heart then rests at ease, open and clear. All perceptions, conventionally labelled as myself or the world, are seen as transparent, if convenient, fictions. When there is insufficient mindfulness and wisdom, the mind goes out quote unquote, and attaches to its perceptions and moods, the result of which is the experience of me being pressured by life. Both an apparently solid self and a solid world have been unconsciously created, and the friction between the two is the dukkha that we find ourselves running from so regularly and ineffectively. Trying to find a me without a world that burdens it is like trying to run away from our own shadow. No matter how hard we run, the effort is bound to fail as the one form generates the other. The aim of all these teachings on a tamayatā is to show us that the dualities of subject-object, me and the world, do not have to be brought into being at all. And when the heart is restrained from, quote, going out, unquote, and awakens to its fundamental nature, a bright and joyful peace is what remains. This is the peace of Nibbāna. These reflections upon Atamayatā bring us to the end of our exploration of the conditioned realm. And with this we begin the next phase of the inquiry. So I highly recommend that this uh, Madhupindika Sutta and also Bhikkhu book Concept and Reality is a really good uh, uh, explanation and a, a very fine commentary. He's a very practical commentator. Uh, so it's not just uh, trying to impress you with knowledge or brilliant ideas, but it's very much le- uh, based on, on practice and um, how to use these teachings to watch your own mind and to see how these uh, uh, proliferations take take shape. And uh, this process is defined in the sutta. So the Say so using visual forms: so the eye, visual, visible forms of the eye, the physical eye, the object, and then eye consciousness: the the light reaching the eye and hitting the, the the retina, and then the electrical impulse going down through the optic nerve into the brain. Eye consciousness: those three together, the eye, the eye, visible forms, and then eye consciousness. That is pasiv or sense contact. But sense contact there is as uh, condition there is feeling, so that's just pleasant feeling, painful feeling, neutral feeling. So, even in evolutionary terms, this is this is how things work. That the the, the sense organs, they even before they've clearly defined what is being perceived, they the sense organ registers uh, attractive, good, uh, dangerous, bad, uh, or neutral. Don't worry about it. And so, uh, even before the designation that comes through sanya uh, has, has formed, there's a there's a feeling that uh, that arises. And so, the, the the Buddha is right on the on the mark with his uh, with the description here as well. So there's contact leading to feeling. Vedana. What one feels, that one perceives. So the sanya, then the, the English word sign or designation is related to sanya. So that's where the, it registers, oh, white with a red line, brown, uh, brown, blue, green. Uh, the, 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 uh, the actual perceived object, color, uh, shape, etc. arise. But then, Vitaka is that naming of like, so the eye perceives the form and it recognizes the color, and then Vitaka, the thinking, Vitaketi means to to, to think. Then the vitaka comes in and says blue-ish carpet. It gives a, a verbal tag to the to the experience. So vitaka is the ordinary word for thinking, conceptual thought. And then vitaka leads to um, uh, Papancha, Conceptual Proliferation. So this carpet has only got another um, 10 days of its life, We're going to be refurbishing the whole of the sala. Dear old carpet, you've served us well, you've been there since 1991. Oh yeah, that was that winter retreat, the Ajahn Sameto Sister Jodica and Lawrence Haynes, they organized that. And I was at House with Ajahn, Kitty Sorrow, oh yeah, that was so much fun. That was a great winter retreat, that was 1991. Wow, that was more than 25 years ago, gee. This is Papuncha. <laughs> So then, uh, Papancha then leading to Papancha Sanya Sankar, which is that, um, the, as you can see, it progresses from the simplicity uh, of um, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and then there's this rapidly advancing, or there's uh, me experiencing this, uh, I call this blue, or I call it green, or uh, this is the carpet. And then Papancha is then the stories that attach to that, the judgments around it. And then Papancha Sanya Sankar is like, Oh yeah, that was yeah, that was really difficult, wasn't it? Because Sajan Samato, yeah. He said to the Sangha, Well don't you think about it, I'll take care of it. And it's me and Sister Jodika and Lawrence Haynes will look after it. You don't think about it and then that didn't go down very well and uh, yeah, there was all kinds of fallout from that. So that's not <laughs> So there's the the world out there the way that was done what i remember oh yeah gee that was difficult Uh, so then me here the world with a sense of tension between the two so that's um an attention of um aversion or tension tension of wanting nostalgia oh that was so great that was so much fun kitty sorrow we were such good mates and it was a really wonderful magical time oh those days will never come again (laughs) I was so young, it was all so inspiring and good, not like now, it's kind of ordinary. (laughs) So the mind creates these these dualities. We can say, oh no, like, God, I was so confused and uptight and over the top in those days, and I'm much more mellow and calm and clear and stable so much better now than it was then, which is so awful and kind of turbulent and kind of weird, and all these kind of... The mind creates these dichotomies, me and the world, and then the, the, there's a tension, uh, contending against the world, longing for something from the world, having an opinion about the world, uh, afraid of the world. Uh, it creates this, and the, the further uh, down that track the mind goes with me and the world, and the more that sense of tension, uh, tension, alienation, insecurity, and so forth, that takes shape. So this is a, uh, I, and I highly recommend uh, Bhikkhu Nyanananda's book, Concept and Reality. I think we've got a few copies of it in the, in, both in the main library, also in the Viharas. That, uh, it's really worth, worth, uh, worth reading and uh, getting familiar with it, because he's a, he's a, a real, uh, like uh, Tanja Kun Paiuto in Thailand, he's a really uh, kind of unique, Scholar and a very, very helpful uh, way that his um, teachings are put together. So that's enough, Papancha, from me, I think. Any particular thoughts, reflections? Yes? Uh, Between those, uh, there are seven um, Anusaya. uh, Seven Anusaya. Between those seven Anusaya, there is no Vibhava. It's only the becoming that's. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there's there's uh, there's, uh, Biyapada, there's a There's aversion in the there's a, which is the, um, but it's uh, yeah it's just called desire for being, and it, uh, that might just be assumed to include both Bhavatana and Vibhavatana as a sort of heading. I'm sure people have written PhDs about it. I'm not sure, but I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but um, that, um, because also uh, the, the bhavatana and the they're very closely related so that you can, uh, there's, a, there, there's a way of, you can feel satisfaction in having got rid of that feeling of being, uh, getting rid of a feeling. Like, oh, thank goodness that's over. Huh. Like, there's actually a, uh, uh, there's a relishing of the I, i've got rid of that <laughs> so along with the vibhava there's a bhava there's a, and so that they there are there are a pair really and that um, so uh i wouldn't read it into the into it that there's that doesn't count as a latent tendency that but, um, but i would uh, uh see it as sort of meshed in with with all of those as well
2: I watched a program the other day on um, Francis Bacon, the artist, you know, mm-hmm. a kind little fellow, you know, with was mine. And he destroyed a lot of his artwork, you know, slashing it up and burnt So He said, take it to the temple, you know. And the, the guy said, what was the problem? He said, as an artist, you're trying to trap reality, and it's impossible. When you keep coming back and look at something again, it's not the same reality. Mm-hmm really made me think, you know. So when you look at a picture, you know, you think somebody painted Arjun Char. You probably don't see Arjun Char that way. I don't know if you think that's the reality of Arjun Char. You know, so I you think know. it's
0: the reality of Jerry Rollison who painted him.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's so hard for an artist, isn't it, to depict reality. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. John Cage is very interesting because much of his... He was pretty weird all the way along, but then he, he got into Zen Buddhism in the '50s and '60s, and um, one of his most famous things is a talk on nothing that, uh, that he gave. And uh, I mean, it covers some of the, the themes I was re- was reciting, but, uh, but uh, his whole approach to the artist <laughs> and art uh, is, very, uh, is' very spacious. He's uh, a very interesting mind, and uh, surprisingly, he, uh, he was his artwork his art was very weird in terms of sound and activity, but he uh, all the accounts are that he was a really nice bloke, yeah. <laughs> really, and that uh, a very fine human being, and that uh, but his understanding his feel for what art what you, what you can call art, and what he was trying to do with his Strange musical creations was both creating things, but also giving a commentary on what uh, uh, what reality is, and so that the 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 role of art is to, in a sense, create that kind of epiphany that the, the where the mind goes. Oh, and so that's the, the, uh, the, the in a way the the, the art. This is how I would see it, and also how um, others have commented in the same way. It's not my unique original ideas, but that in a way the art object is not the object. It's the the point of it is to create that oh. Oh, that's uh, that quality of of uh, uh, say attunement of the mind an, uh, an opening of the mind to the present. That's the purpose of it. So uh, uh, an art object. Like his musical pieces, like Four Minutes Thirty Three or um, Water Music, uh, involved a lot of uh, of water <laughs> and a duck uh, a duck whistle. Yes. Such like. <laughs> but, uh, it's to um, awaken the mind, and the, the the point of the the art object is not the object itself, but the effect that it has on the the experience of the listener, the viewer. That's the the, the point is that aha uh-huh, that, uh, that happens in you. That That's in a way, that's the real art object, <laughs> <I> <laughs> is remember, how it changes your heart.
2: I remember Arjun Sundra, she always does this lovely thing she said, she sat in front of Lumpur for years, you know, and then all of a sudden the penny drops. I love that expression, penny drops. And, and that's Dharma, isn't it? Penny drops.
0: A piece of the toy, piano toy piano music, yeah. And
1: they used it from the on the way away. Uh-huh. just it's <laughs> silence, but it's just a a
0: child piano. The real uh th- this is not the origin this is a photograph. Uh the the original is at Chithhurst. Uh, this is a photograph of it. Um but uh, part of the art, the, the masterpiece nature of it was that Jerry Rollison spent two years painting this. So when Lumpur Cha came in 1977, he took a lot of photographs of him sitting on a bench in the in the back garden at the Hampstead Vihara with an idea. He asked, Can I paint your portrait? I'll need to take some photographs. So Arjun Cha sat there. So there's a whole series of photographs that Jerry Rollison took. And then he spent two years working on the painting, and in 79 Lumpur Chah came back and has a photograph um, of Lumpur Chah, uh, <clears throat> in front of the painting, and he's got this foot-wide grin on his face. And what he's just said to Jerry is, I bet you'd really suffer if I scribbled on his face. <laughs> 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 and Jerry took the photograph, so <laughs> it's, a, it's a unique moment. Uh, but, uh, and, that, and he was absolutely right because he looked at it and, and Jerry was sweating bullets because he's like because he, Ajahn Chah could have like Ajahn Buddha Dasa, could have no expression. He, does he like it? Is he not like it? Is he happy? Is he unhappy? What? And so he was waiting for a comment. But predictably, Ajahn Chah didn't say you know I like it or well done. But just uh, he he addressed the process that must have gone on with making it. Because he could see, like, this guy is really, really focused on detail. <laughs> he could see, and he could listen to the, 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 the quality of it, and he realized, this guy must have suffered a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so he saw the artist's mind in the painting, not psychically, but just through observing. And so that's what he spoke to, but also made a joke out of it. Because then Jerry's like, he's joking. He, he's, he, he's not joking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he'd actually reached for a crayon or anything. But, yeah. but uh, you know, he, uh, he hoped Ajahn was joking. <laughs> but it was also that was a kind of beautiful way of ex- appreciating Jerry's work and the two years he spent creating it. But also making light of it, and uh, and and uh, uh, helping that uh, the event of the painting, not not just to be about him, but about the uh, the suffering of creation, <laughs> and also letting go. But, uh, he could see, "I bet you'd really suffer if I screw." I don't know what the tie would be, but something. I bet you. The, I mean, Ajin didn't bet, but there's a shows a, a an expression that uh, that, uh, that he would use that uh, he'd really suffer if I scribbled on his face, huh? <laughs> and on that note, we can wind up for today. That's the end of chapter six.